That's great news. Uh, we're off to a great start this morning. We're very happy to be here with you. I have some things uh, about me that are really bad. But one of my strengths is that I am a decent, creative problem solver. Mackenzie has called me, like, that's my special skill. I think she was the first one to identify with that language, is that I'm a creative problem solver. I love solving puzzles. Uh, you may not know this about me, but uh, yeah, I like yeah, Rubik's Cubes. Yeah. <laughs> my brother's been around for a long time in my life, and he knows, he knows about this. I was an origami king in sixth grade. Seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade were really Rubik's Cubes. And then I had like a little affair with ripsticks there for a little bit. But I'm not very coordinated, so I gave that up. But these are probably one of my long-term standing hobbies here. And I really enjoy them. In fact, when this is a 7x7x7, seven by, seven by, seven, by the way, there are more different combinations on this than there are stars in the universe, which is pretty interesting. Uh, it takes me about 20 minutes to solve this. But the biggest for a long time was a 5x5x5. Five by five by five. And this is a normal 3x3x3. Three by three by three. Well, it's not normal. It's a speed cube. It turns very well, uh, which is important. Normal Rubik's Cubes, which they've gotten better, but the original ones were terrible at turning. Anyway, when I was a kid, well, this had not been invented yet. And me and my friend Cody from high school, or middle school at the time, were really interested in this when it came out. And I begged my parents, let me get the 7x7, seven seven, made by a company called V-Cube. And it was like 70 bucks uh, when it first came out, and I had to like import it from Greece. Uh, it was a big ordeal to get one, but me and my friend Cody got them at the same time. And you may not know this, but I also had a YouTube channel called Bakugan Watermaster, which you can go check out. But I had one of the first, if not the first, full 7x7 seven seven solving tutorial on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. It has a lot of views. I think it, most recently it's like 20,000 or something. People have watched me. But to give you some context about who I was at 14. Hi guys, this is Bob Watermaster. And this is how to solve your VQ 7x7 now, you might think this is an impossible task, but it is actually quite simple. Now, what we have to do is we need to Okay, okay, I'm not going to make you watch. Oh! It's like a nine-minute video. It's just part one, okay? I'm like, five. I'm not going to, you guys are not, if you want to watch it, Aaron, or anybody else, you type in Bakugan, B-A, okay, B-A-K, <laughs> epic pole fighting is not the creme de la creme of the channel. Pointless news is, but that is pretty good. If you like, like, Creed, like the old, like, Christian rock band, there's a lot of Creed in our videos. Anyway, I'm getting way off task here. Let's bring it back in. Who wants to mix this up for me? I'm going to solve it right now. Who is mischievous? Okay, Tommy. I'm going to give it to Tommy. Tommy, you can mix this up for me here. I'm not even going to look. That way there's no cheating. Okay. As long as you don't take any pieces out and flip them around. Yeah, the stickers come off that what? The stickers come off no, there is no stickers. Oh. A solid plastic piece. And there's no cheating on this one, Aaron. Oh, that drove me nuts when I saw cubes with the wrinkled corners. I'm like, I'm like, you guys just take it apart and put. Anyway, are you, how are you doing, Tommy? You ready? Okay. All right. I'm not gonna. Who wants to set a timer? Anybody got a phone, a smartphone? My goal is to break one minute here. 
Okay, I'm not going to start yet. I need to inspect the cube, and I'll tell you when to start. Okay. Shouldn't that be part of the minute? No, that's not how... Have you ever seen a Rubik's Cube solving competition, Aaron? Uh, no. You get to inspect the cube and put your hands on the timer. When you lift, that's your opportunity to start. Okay. And when I set it down, that's the official end time. Okay. Okay, hold on. Let me just... Give me a second here. All right. Ready, set, go. All right, Aaron, it's not helping. All right, I'm working on the first bottom two layers right now. My goal is to, I'm not wasting time, I'm talking. I can solve and talk at the same time, Aaron. It's like talking and driving. Okay, so now we have the bottom two layers solved. Oh, well, okay. Hmm. Okay, I'm not going to solve it in a minute. Okay. Okay. I... Here's the thing. I'm actually stuck, I think. This is so embarrassing. I solved it this morning with the intent on like practicing. What is this algorithm? Ah, uh, uh, yes. Ah, uh, I recalled it from memory. That's, oh, thank you, brain. I haven't done this in a long time. This is, we're back on it now. We're, we're not giving up. This morning, I solved it so much faster. That does not help. I still love Michael, though. <laughs> if you're still watching. <laughs> oh, this was not supposed to be taking this long. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. Thank you, Jillian. That's very kind of you. Yeah, you had a good solve. It is done, and then you can do fun tricks too, where you like make it. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm guessing like 146. No. Oh. What was it? Two minutes, ten seconds. I'm just gonna retire. Almost. <laughs> My fastest solve time was 32 seconds. Yeah, I'm just gonna pass her from here on out. <laughs> I may be a creative problem solver. That was not the best showcase of my Rubik's Cube skills. Sure that was <laughs> but, but, there is one problem for sure I do not know how to solve. That is the problem of sin. Okay? But, from what I can see, there are two solutions. The first is uh, to pay for it. Alright? And we love debt in the US. We love paying for debt. Last year, we had... Uh, $986 billion worth of credit card debt in this nation, which if you took our credit card debt and you made it a GDP of a, a country, that would be the 17th most wealthy country in the world is our credit card debt. It's crazy. So the first option for sin is to pay the debt, and we do that by dying. Okay, so 
The wages of sin is death. If you want to pay your sin debt, you have the first option is just die. All right, that's what your sin requires. I think I prefer the second option, but I can't solve it. The second option is forgiveness. So when God sacrificed his son, Jesus died on our behalf, right? And he opened up the way for us to be forgiven, to not go through death ourselves, but to partake of his death. Which, I mean, between dying myself and accepting a free gift of forgiveness from Jesus' sacrifice, I'm definitely leaning towards the second here as my preferred option. But even though we have been forgiven, if you're a Christian, you've accepted Jesus, you've been forgiven, we are still subject to sin in our life. In this age, sometimes sin breaks into our lives, which means that we still need forgiveness for some things on a regular basis. As you can see here, we're already going to be in 1 John, so if you are proactive, go ahead and turn there with me. Uh, We're going to be looking at a passage here. That gives us some sobering news and also encourages us. If you remember, we are in a series called Promises. Where we're looking at the things that scripture says are certain for Christians. They're promises from God. So 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 4. These things I have written to you so that our joy may be made complete. Okay, so John's saying, hey, I wrote this so that you will be happy, so that you'll have joy. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That does sound like pretty good news. Yeah, that will make my joy complete until the next verse. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That stings a little bit, all right? That does not sound like it's going to make my joy complete. (laughs) Sounds like it just makes me sad. Look at verse 7 here. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Oh, there we go. Good news again. Let's just stop there for a second. So John is saying that, it appears to be saying, that some people will have fellowship with God, Or think they have fellowship with God. But what they're actually going to be doing is walking in darkness. And so they make themselves out to be liars. And they're not practicing the truth. So we see this kind of dichotomy here forming. Where we have people who are definitely sinners. Who haven't accepted Jesus. People who are walking with God. Are in the light. And have forgiveness. And then those who think they're doing that. And then are walking in darkness. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. And if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if we have sin, which is just a fact in the reality of the sage, it appears that's the case. What sin does is that it separates us from God. It disfellowships us from one another and from our Creator. And if we say we don't have sin... We, then for, we therefore have sin because we're lying. We're actually going against the truth. If we walk in obedience with God, though, we would be cleansed from that. So let's stop here for a second. And I want us to really feel the weight of what it means to not have fellowship with God. Okay? Because it says if we're sinning, 
then we're deceiving ourselves, we're lying, and we're not walking with God. So let's just, I want us to understand really what that means. Because John is really belaboring this point of fellowship. And he's not really talking about salvation or damnation. He's not using those words. But he is using this word fellowship. And I heard a, uh, an Instagram influencer make a really good analogy, which I don't normally listen to Instagram influencers, by the way. I usually don't take their words to heart. But there was this one that was pretty interesting. So when God created the earth, uh, he created the heavens, the earth, the water, the sea, and the air. He separated the heavens and the earth. And in the air, he put these birds, right? And then on the earth, he put these animals and these plants, these trees. And in the water, he put fish and the creatures that lived there. And then he created people. And he put them in fellowship with himself. He created them in his image. And so what we see in creation is that there's these, these uh, substrates, so to speak, that these animals live in. And if you take a, a tree out of the earth, what happens? It dies, right? If you take a fish out of the water, what happens? It dies. And so there's kind of this logical conclusion. What happens when you take people out of fellowship with God? They die. And that's, I think, important for us to feel that weight. John is saying that without fellowship, we are dead. Without fellowship with God, we are dead. And John uses, this is the same John that wrote the book of John the Gospel. And in John chapter 15, he says a similar thing. I have it here on the screen for you. He's talking, he's using this analogy. Uh, well, Jesus uses this analogy and John records it. Jesus says, Remain in me and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. This, this uh, you may have not been on a vineyard before, but they prune these branches to get more fruit out of these, vine, uh, out of these vines. And then they throw the branches they cut off on the ground and then later they get collected and they're just burned. Jesus is saying that if we don't have fellowship with him, if we don't abide with him and with the Father, we are like a branch that has been cut off and thrown on the ground waiting to be collected and burned. If we cannot survive without fellowship with them. So taking that weight of disfellowship, what that means, means death. Taking that back into 1 John, let's read verses 7 and 8 again. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are separated. We are liars. We are not walking with God. To help emphasize this, I made a very simple diagram for us. Okay? Sin equals bad. Fellowship equals good. Okay? That may be simple to you, 
But it is the truth of what John is saying. He could have saved himself a lot of paper and just say, sin bad, fellowship good, like Kevin from the office when he decides to use less words. You know what I'm talking about? Sin bad, fellowship good. And so when we are looking at First John, we see this conversation standing uh, on the idea of God and Christians in relationship, and then how sin is that barrier, the one that blocks us from that relationship. Sin stops us. And the Bible teaches this, especially in the book of Acts, that in order to make things right, in order to be back into fellowship with God, there is a certain amount that is required of us. We need to repent, right? We need to repent of our sin and get baptized. That's really a big point in the book of Acts. And uh, Paul also makes this point in Romans when he says... We have been made righteous through his faithfulness combined with our faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access by faith into his grace in which we stand through him. And we boast in the hope of God's glory. So before Jesus comes around, we were like a bunch of little rebellious children. Okay, We were unyielding. We were lost. We were destined for death. And after Jesus, we are made right and we're brought to peace with God. And we have access to grace. So that is something that can't be taken away with us. And I think that's the reason I'm making this point is I want to make sure that we understand that as Christians, our salvation is secure. Okay? So before we talk about how we continue to sin even after we become Christians, I want us to understand that our salvation is secure as Christians. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. When we go into fellowship with Jesus, we are saved. All right? And there are some faith traditions where uh, they talk about kind of this flip-flopping between in and out, being in and out of salvation, where you repent and you're saved again and everything's good, but then on your way home, you get cut off in traffic and you throw a slushie through the guy's open window and you cut him off. And then all of a sudden you're back to not being saved again because you lashed out in anger. And then you repent of that and you're saved again. And then you stub your toe and then you're out again. And then this goes back and forth. There are some people who think that's how faith works. And that is extremely wearisome. Okay? What we need to do is have confidence that we are actually secure in our faith. That once we have accepted Jesus, we are forgiven. That Jesus has given us the status of grace with God. Peace with him. That being said, even though we can have confidence in our salvation, there are other verses that talk about how sin is still a wedge that can divide us from God. So it can be dangerous if we don't take it seriously. Look at a couple of verses here. First John from 1 John 3 and Hebrews 10. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You are being practicing disobedience from God. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Whoa. (laughs) That's kind of a scary verse that we need to take seriously. So let's think about sin like a wedge. If we keep sinning long enough with our intent, it's like we have this wedge sin between us and God and we're hitting it in with a hammer and we're separating ourselves. Right? So the more we continue to look for sin, the more we continue to long after it, 
We are breaking our relationship with God. All right, so we've been saved. Our salvation is secure. But if we keep on sinning, then we are going to continue to damage something that needs repaired. Okay, so sin still happens in our lives. So how do we repair it? Well, I have some great news for you. Even though I am not able to solve this problem, John has the solution. Look at verses 9 and 10 in 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He's just making sure, again, that we recognize our sin. But this forgiveness has nothing to do with who we are. It has everything to do with who God is. We need to confess, yes, but it is because of God's faithfulness and because of his righteousness, because of who he is, that we can be forgiven. That we can have our unrighteousness, our unright way of living, transformed into the right way of living. But we do need to confess. Imagine you're standing before a judge and you read out a, they read out a bunch of bad things you did. And then they ask you, how do you plead? Guilty or innocent? All right? If you plead guilty, you are confessing to those crimes. You say, yes, I understand that I did those things. And I am now here to receive that punishment in a court of law. But if you say, no, 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 I did not do those things. Those things are not true. You're claiming your innocence, and then it starts this whole process of them trying to prove that you're guilty, right? That's how it works in the, in the U.S. anyway. But God, but God is not like a normal judge. He knows. <laughs> he knows 100% what your life is about. So when he says, this is what you've done, how do you plead? You don't have an option, right, to fight for your innocence because he knows that you're wrong. So we need to take ownership. If we say, no, God, you know, I'm actually not that bad. We make him a liar. We say, what you actually think is wrong, what you determine is truth, is not true, it's not wrong. I do not want to be put in a position where I'm making God a liar. (laughs) That seems like a bad place to be. So take your big old bowl of frosted shredded shredded humble wheats, okay, this week, and say, yeah, I've messed up. I am a sinner. But there is a faithful and righteous God just on the other side of confession waiting for me to come back to him and repair that relationship that's been broken. Keeping in mind that our faith is secure. It's not like we're in a salvation, we're out of salvation but we need to repair that relationship that we keep breaking down with sin. So John is making a promise here. Now that's where we get to it, the punchline. This is the promise. That forgiveness is there waiting for us if we want it. So there, here are a few things I want to reinforce for us today before we conclude. Things that we need to really internalize that are important to us as Christians to understand and to believe and to practice. Like we've said, number one, we need to really and truly believe and understand that we are secure in our salvation. 
I don't want to scare anyone away. I don't want to make you think that somehow you're out of fellowship with God because you sinned yesterday or because you sinned this morning or you're sinning right now. The Bible teaches that we do have a new nature, that we are new creatures, that once uh, this world is perfected, once Jesus comes back and changes everything, we're no longer going to have to deal with sin. All right? But that is not the time yet. So sin is still prevalent. Sin is still a legitimate problem for Christians. It is something that needs to be dealt with. We have all sinned. Let's just take that in. We're, we all make mistakes. We all live disobedient to God's walk. And if we don't repent of that, we are going to be a branch that gets cut off from the vine and tossed on the ground. We are going to put our sin before our relationship with God. We are going to walk away from him if we don't try to confront sin in our lives. It's this slow thing that kind of eats away at us. It allows us to take one step in the wrong direction over and over and over again. To be walking in darkness, to be walking in sin, walking in lawlessness. And just to be upfront for a long time, after I was saved, right? So I got baptized at 13 for a long time, for years and years and years of my life. I was addicted to pornography, okay? And it ate away at me. I'm very open about this. You can talk to me about it if you want to. But for a long time, it weighed on me. And it destroyed my relationship with God. Because I put myself first. I put my desires, what I wanted to do. I loved my sin. And I tried to justify it as best I could. I truly did. Looking at it now, it sounds silly to think that I could try. But I did. And I thought I was pretty clever, too, in the moment, you know, figuring things out, making it work for me, trying to walk in darkness and walk with the Lord. But through God's redemptive power, through his amazing work in my life, I can say I'm totally free from it today, which is a blessing. It's a praise. And now not only has it, it's not just a blemish on my life, it is a testimony to God's power and salvation and transformation of my heart, how he's taken a hold of me and changed me. And he's done that for you guys too. And he's going to keep doing that for you too. But I just am making that point because even though I was saved, even though I was baptized and I gave my life over to Jesus, I was still trying to hold on to some part of my life in this sin. All right? It is a legitimate problem for Christians. And that's just one. <laughs> there are a lot of problems that we can be a part of. But we need to rest assured to truly know that forgiveness is promised to us. When we see these words in 1 John, they're not just hypotheticals. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, he will forgive. There is forgiveness promised to us. I don't know how many times I need to say it to make you understand it. 
But we can be redeemed and we can continue to be redeemed. And even though we've been saved, we will continue to make mistakes and we will continue to be called back into the grace of God. And it's an amazing thing. It's truly astounding. But it does take a lot of effort. It takes dedication. And it takes a helping hand from God and his spirit and his son and from Christians around us. But we also, in the midst of this battle against sin, we need to know that we have peace. We need to know that we have wisdom to act appropriately. Those are two promises we talked about in the last couple weeks. In case you weren't there, go back and listen to them. So in our walk through sin, in our walk to forgiveness and righteousness, we will have peace. We will have someone doing it with us. So maybe this week, you get to shake off some sin in your life that's been weighing you down. Listen, a lot of people talk to me about a lot of things, but there's a lot of stuff going on in your lives and your hearts that maybe only you know about and God. Okay? I just want you to be honest with yourself. Maybe God is moving your heart right now and bringing something up that has just been on your shoulders. It is time to let that sin go and shake it off. To confess it. And I'm not talking about maybe just in prayer, which we should start there with God, confess our sins to God first, but maybe... It's serious enough, you need to get someone else on board. It took me a lot of accountability partners to get over my son. It was hard and embarrassing. It took a lot of work. But as Ephesians 5.13 says, this is one of my favorite verses. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that is illuminated becomes light itself. So when we, I imagine... Sin like mold that lives in the corner of our heart, right? This is a dark place. And when we shine light into that, the mold can't live anymore. The sin dies. It's exposed, right? When we confess it to God, when we confess it to each other, when we have accountability partners, it can't hide anymore. It has to come out in the light. And then when we are delivered from that sin, when we, our lives are changed, it becomes light itself. I remember talking to my friend Nate Massey one time. He's like, Josiah, there are so many bad things I've done in my life. I said, those are parts of your testimony I'm never going to have. Look at what God has done. Look at where you've been. Look at where you are now. There are all kinds of bad people in this world. You are one of them. And we have all been redeemed. And that is light. That is light. So I really strongly encourage you, if there is a sin weighing you down this week, talk to someone, pray about it, let it go, and accept that forgiveness that's waiting for you. Let you, I just want you to feel the weight of that gone, the release of that. On that note, I think we should pray. Let's pray. God, this morning, I just pray that you illuminate our hearts and our minds. That you call those things that need to go in our lives that are not walking in light with you. I pray that you seriously confront those things. Give us the strength and courage we need to confess those things. And let us embrace your forgiveness. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.